everybody. Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressive Podcast with Sincere Hogan and Mike Mahler. And like we told you guys, we're giving you a January pack full of some of the best strength coaches out there. And right now, this is no exception. Actually, in Mike's opinion, in my opinion, this is probably the top strength coach out there. So uh, first of all, Mike, how you doing, brother, before we move any further? I'm, I'm doing good, man. Yeah, we have a world-renowned strength coach on, Charles Poliquin. Everybody in the business knows who Charles is. If you're a strength coach and you don't know who Charles is, then you need to really rethink whether you should be in this business or not because clearly you haven't done enough research. He's written incredible books such as The Poliquin Principles, Modern Trends in Strength Training, hundreds if not thousands of articles in every fitness and magazine around the world that you can imagine, creator of the Biosignature Program, more influential than any other strength coach that I can think of. Charles, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for uh, bringing me in. Oh, it's a pleasure. What, you, what have you been up to lately? We know you're always on the cutting edge of training and nutrition and restoration. So we're curious what's new in the world of Charles Poliquin. Well, I sold my company about five months ago, and then I've been working on some projects. So with the biosignature, I figured out a way to integrate lower body body fat scores into the percentage body fat formula. So not, because before, uh, all the formula was based on 12, um, 10 sites, even though we had 12 biosynthesis sites, but right. no one had come up with how can you integrate the scores. So what I did is I used uh, DEXA scans to get the body fat you know, images uh, and then correlate them to the skin folds and then came up with a algorithm for that. And then over the years, students, you know, I mean, you, look, you learn as much from your students as the students learn from the teacher, right? So right. the students would ask very good questions. And then I figured out a site that actually correlates with inflammatory markers in the body, hmm. so like HSCRP and so on. So sometimes people don't lose fat because they're just basically too inflamed, you know. And what's, then, what's the site for that, Charles? For the, for the, it's actually the posterior iliac crest. So it's huh. different than the uh, lateral iliac crest, which is more of a reflection of insulin. Uh, so it's possible to have somebody that's fairly lean, but the, um, it's like having a nice soda in the car, but the motor is rotten, you know. So sometimes the, the outside doesn't really reflect what's going inside. And then right. after that, then... I. You know, for years we've been correlating hormones to sites, but now the trend is to correlate actually other blood markers like um, glycosylated hemoglobin or uh, uh, HSCRP and so on with other sites. So I'm actually working with a group out of Vegas. They have clinics that have 80,000 bariatric patients, and we're going to look at implementing a new formula in the monitoring of fat loss. And then Dr. Mark Houston and Dr. Bijan Purat and I are supposed to go on a lecture circuit this year on cardiology and uh, body fat distribution. So because, you know, a lot of cardiologists obviously want to have some kind of compliance on patients. And then we've isolated sites that can actually predict heart attacks fairly well. Or if the guys are cardiac patients, uh, let's say quadruple um, bypass, and he wants to not come back for seconds, then right. 
rest days that we could say, okay, well, do this protocol. We'll monitor your fat storage here, and then we'll go. We can see if you're compliant, which is pretty interesting because you know Mark directs the Hypertension Institute, so obviously he has a lot of patients. And Dr. Porat used to do a lot of um, open heart surgery, and he hasn't done any, I think, in five years because he's gone towards more of the functional medicine route. So, you know, it's it's kind of one of these things where, even though I'm still involved in strength coaching and strength education, I've taken on the passion for looking at physiology, you know. I mean, yeah, I, it seems you know, like your information has evolved quite a bit. You're not someone who gets stuck in one lane, and that's something we talk about on the show quite a bit. Would you, for people that are not familiar with your biosignature program, because some of our listeners have probably never heard of it before, can you just give us a brief synopsis of what it is and how you came up with it? Well, basically, you know, in Canada, when I work with all the national teams, for they wanted only the strength coach or the exercise physiologist to do the body fat, not the technical coaches. The reason right. being is that when technical coaches were involved, then we had a lot of um, eating disorders, right? So the not in males, but in females, a lot of eating disorders because they would feel pressure that you know if they weren't lean enough, they're going to get cut from the team. So. Uh, the sports administrators in their wisdom said, well, maybe we should get somebody who's not directly involved with selection, you know. So I, I ran body fat tests otherwise, but my first job when I got out of university was actually to measure body fat 40 hours a week, so I had lots of field experience. And we were doing studies on firemen, fire, uh, policemen, SWAT teams, commando teams, blah, blah, blah. So I had quite a practice a bit of practice, and I had observed that fat distribution, you know, was not the same in everybody, and there's some kind of geography to it, for lack of a better word, and then with national teams, everybody gets blood work paid for by the government, so I start to look at, was there a relationship between those fat stores and the hormones, right, and then what happened is that being a strength coach, I was more interested in if I do, let's say, nervous system training and I blast the guy's cortisol levels because I stimulate their adrenals, does that change right. something? Or if I do a lot of lactate training, does that change something? So initially, all I cared about was building muscle, losing fat, right? So it's like, and then I accumulated quite a bit of data. Then I gave that to a a statistics expert and say, you know, can you see a trend? So we looked at stuff and he said, yeah, there is a trend. So we came up with uh, 12 sites. And what we have found is that over the years is that there's a feminization of the world population. In other words, when I first started teaching it, we would see about seven different profiles. And now, either I see an insulin profile, or it's someone that has dysregulated insulin levels, or they're turning into women. Right. And right. there's differences geographically. So, for example, in Australia, in Western Australia, where there's a lot of copper in the soil, well, that implies that you'll have poor zinc absorption, therefore poor estrogen detoxication. Well, you will see males with 28 millimeters on their skin folds on the hamstrings. You know, a male, who's a real male, should not act like that seven. <laughs> You know, so right. when you start having 28, you st start seeing things like, do these trousers make me look fat or <laughs> you know, 
I mean, right. so, and then when you run the blood profiles, these guys have non-existent androgens and a lot of uh, female hormones. And the same is true for Ireland and the UK, but the, for different reasons. There's, I think it's because of cadmium in the soil, you know, from all the tires and the rain and blah, blah, blah. But, and of course, no vitamin D. I mean, summer in Ireland is July 17th between 922 and 927. So right. <laughs> it's easy to miss summer and have no D3 in, in, um, in Ireland. So the, the point is, is that the system completely evolved and um, I've just been working on it. So I'm, I'm going to be giving seminars in Hong Kong and Australia and Spain on the latest things where now we the way I look at it now is I look at a, uh, a priority in the system failures. So let's say you don't regulate insulin properly, and then I give you all the blood tests that go with that and how to change uh, for the better those blood tests. So for example, you could have a good morning insulin, a good morning uh, glucose, but your challenge insulin is terrible. So you may look fine. It's like the difference between an electrocardiogram when you rest and an electrocardiogram when you exercise. So you may look fine at rest, but I put you in a treadmill for three seconds and your heart shows off as an anomaly. It's the same with the pancreas. The pancreas could look normal in a fasted state, but as soon as you give it a large dose of carbs, it's a different story. Right, right. Now, Charles, you were mentioning um, HSCRP and some of our listeners out there who are not in the fitness world. Uh, could you explain exactly what that is to them? It's a blood marker to see how inflamed you are, basically, in a nutshell. So it's eye-sensitive mm-hmm. cross-reactive protein. So, for example, if you're prone to high blood pressure or you're pl- prone to osteoarthritis, those values will go up. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's like telling you you're, in, you're inflamed, um, and and it, luckily, the, you know, even at cholesterol, cholesterol is considered the enemy. But I can give you an analogy. When you, mm. let's say if you're sitting at Starbucks and you see fire trucks go by with sirens blazing, your first clue is probably there's a fire nearby, correct? And right. then you don't have to do <laughs> right. brain surgeons to figure that out. So that's your cholesterol. So when you have elevated cholesterol, there's a fire going on, you have inflammation, and the body is responding to go fight the fire. But what modern science says is, oh, I'll give you some Lipitor and the <laughs> firefighters will go down in the blood. So that would be like the fire trucks going by, you come out on the street with an AK-47 and you shoot the trucks. I mean, there's <laughs> okay. still more cholesterol, but is the fire still gone? Hell yes. So, you know, so finally, Thanks to a man like Dr. Sinatra, we were realizing that cholesterol is not that evil. You know, so we're, we, my goal is to educate trainers and, and medical doctors on how can we best intervene with our uh, client's health, and then, but not be as invasive as we need to be. You know, so that's that's the old premise. Right. Thanks. Now, your, your strategies with addressing these issues are a combination of modifying diet <clears throat> and nutrition supplements. 
How much of it is supplementation? I know you're well, heavy on using a variety of that. I, I do use supplements, but I'll tell you the supplements are most useful in the non-compliant who need a kickstart. I see. Okay. So, you know, a basic premise is if you're obese, you're depressed. Okay? Right. So, I mean, you're inflamed and depressed. Yeah. So if you're depressed and I try to tell you to eat properly, you'll last about 10 minutes and then you have more excuses right. than a pregnant nun not to do things. Yeah. So the way I look at it is, for example, fish oil reduces inflammation in the gut, changes neurotransmitters in the gut, and will affect your brain chemistry. So instead of telling you an obese guy, you know, I need you to cut your refined carbohydrates, blah, 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 well, I'll first put them on fish oil. But what's the best solution? It's always nutrition. Right. But right. the thing is, is that, you know, if the guy's not going to do the work, you've got to get him to start somewhere, right? But uh, the nutrition is the most important, but it is actually the hardest to implement. So I kind of go in a sneaky way to get the, the client to, to... But if someone comes to see me, and uh, I mean, I saw an article on Stephen Seagal this morning, he wants to run for governor of Arizona. Well, he's got more chins than Chinatown, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a guy like that, you know, his carbohydrate intake should be restricted to 10 licks of a dried prune every six months. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> the point is, is that, you know, yeah, nutrition will probably be the fastest way, but if he doesn't want to, you know, cut his carbs, I mean, if he cut his carbs for one day, I think he could save Somalia. So, you know, the, yeah. the, the point is, is that we need to find what works for the client, you know, and uh, I've been accused of being a big supplement pusher, but it, again, it's people right. who take information out of context. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I've worked with a lot of pro athletes, and you would say, most people imagine they're very motivated. Well, not always, you know. So I have always found ways. I mean, the, the, my whole point is that the guy's got to make progress every day. Right. So right. if it's just by starting to take fish oil and some digestive support, that's it. And then, once he's happier and not as inflamed, then it's easier for me to, to get them. And the same thing with diet. You know, when I work with people on diet, I only do one meal at a time. Right, right. So I pick breakfast because that determines the neurotransmitters all day. And I work on their breakfast. And then after that, I work on their lunch, you know. But, you know, and then there's a lot of myths. You know, people say, oh, well, it takes three weeks to change the habit. That's false. It's actually the research shows it's about 66 days on average exactly. per person. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you change one behavior a week, you know, that's a lot because, you know, it's all saying you give a guy a fish every day or you could throw him at a fish. I think that if you're a good practitioner, you show people how to fish. And then you'll get a lot of business by people referring you for fishing school, (laughs) 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 not for supplying fishes. So, you know, that's how I've built my business over the years. No, I think you bring up a really good point that every trainer should take heed to is that most make the mistake of trying to overhaul someone's regimen. So a client Mm. comes in, you go, okay, here's your regimen, and 
and then they leave with something, a total 180, yeah. total departure, <laughs> and then it's overwhelming, and then they just give up. So making these small chances, if they leave and say, okay, I'm just going to start taking fish oil and vitamin D today, and then, like you said, they, their brain chemistry starts improving, they start feeling better, and then once they start feeling better, obviously it's much easier for that person to be compliant because now they see where they're going. Exactly, exactly. The thing also is that when you overwhelm, overwhelm them, they also tell people that you're not good. Right, right, right. They kind of lose your reputation because yeah, you, you have the greatest intention, but they didn't follow it because of overwhelming. Actually, the uh, Board of Naturopathic Medicine in Arizona can suspend you for overwhelming a patient. Mm-hmm. Because the naturopath, the guy comes in and I don't know, he's got an ingrown toenail and he comes out with 56 supplements. Well, <laughs> you know, to me, that's, that's a bit <laughs> excessive. So we have to be, you know, the, the key is constant and never-ending progress. So, you, you know, you start slow. I mean, same thing with exercise. Uh, look at gyms, you know, this week, gyms in America packed. Right, people. Yeah, with exactly. resolution. Next week it's going to be again nobody, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, Charles, let me ask you this. When we were talking about this and the fact that you want to start them off with just something, let's just say, for example, like you said, you give them fish oil. So, therefore, the brain chemistry is changing a little bit. And what's happening, you're giving them some little victory each and every time, each and every week. There's a new victory they're getting. But you know we're in this microwave society where everybody wants these instant results and you know this month is going to be instant result month in january everybody's coming in hey i'm ready to lose these 20 pounds and you have a lot of trainers out there that are trying to cater to that or feeling as if they do go with the approach that you're saying that it's going to take time but they're feeling like if i explain it to the client that it's going to take time and we're going to do one thing at a time and just you know build things up they feel like they're going to lose this client and they're going to end up not having anyone in some other jackass trainer who's going to make all these promises are going to end up with that client. How do you explain to your clients when they come to you? How do you help them to be compliant and help them to understand that, you know, this is not going to be a quick fix. This is not going to happen in those so-called 21 days to change that one habit or anything like that or all those habits, a culmination of those habits. How do you help drive that home for success? It's really easy. I ask them, how long did it take you to get fat? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you can't refute that. So I say, hey, it took you 35 years to be so fat that your back fell by stretch marks. Do you think I can do it in three weeks? So you got to be out of your tree. So I tell right. them right out. I say, listen, you know, I say, I, I, what I do is I measure their body fat, and then I give them a goal. I say, you can be here if you do 60% of what I tell you to do, and you can be here in that time if you do 100% of what I tell you to do, right? Right. And I basically, I give myself a 20, plus or minus 20% error margin, right? Mm-hmm. And I say, if you think you can get faster results somewhere else, go right there, no problem, okay? And I, <laughs> so I always make the first consult complimentary, you know, but I don't talk to them more than 15 or 20 minutes. I, be, I basically down the cards. I mean, you'd be surprised in pro athletes, I mean, one year, this guy was actually on the U.S., was going to be on the U.S. Olympic team, but they told me probably too fat to make the Olympic team. So everybody in the industry told me, you've got to go see Charles. So he came to see me, and he was so ashamed of how fat he was. 
that he asked for an appointment at 5 in the morning. He didn't want to be seen in a parking lot because he was a famous player. And I looked at him and said, dude, you got a lot of work to do. And he was 21% body fat. For an NHL player, that's porky pig, right? According yeah, to the doctor, right. that's good body fat. Yeah, so I said, listen, you know, I can get you down to six, you know, for the Olympic camp. He goes, are you kidding me? I said, no, but you got to do what I tell you to do. So he said, okay. So we did the first workout. After 42 minutes, my floor in my gym was drenched. He had his feet up on a bench and his face at uh, the shade, the color of a Christmas tree. He's green, right? I said, I guess the alcohol didn't do you as good, right? And then... <laughs> I mean, I probably blew out his liver from lactate. So I said, okay, you know, so let's work on nutrition. So I took him to the restaurant, and I said, uh, you pick. He goes, I like chicken. I said, why are you having chicken? He goes, I like chicken. I said, no, you're not having chicken. You have chicken every day. You have tilapia. No, I don't, I don't want to eat that. Why not? I don't like it. Have you ever had it? No. <laughs> no. I said, well, that's too bad. You're having tilapia. So the guy had bring tilapia. He said, yeah, that's pretty good. So went out to <laughs> work out to come to the restaurant. We're going to have tilapia. No, you moron. you got to change. Uh, I left chicken. You can't have chicken. I'm going to have, you have scallops. I don't like scallops. Have you had scallops? No. <laughs> have scallops. <laughs> but it's not like that. I spent five days and I took him to eat every single time. Right. <laughs> and it just changed up his mind because he knew two meat, chicken and steak. Right. And he was from the East Coast, you know, near Boston. And his wife loved fish and seafood and whatever. So I wrote up a menu. I faxed it to her. I said, this is what you're going to eat. And she sent me a lunch. She goes, thank God. She goes, we're finally going to eat something else to said chicken and cheese. <laughs> and he went from 21 to 11.5 in the first month. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but he had to train twice a day, and he, he was put on a very strict diet and supplements that manage his insulin and his thyroid. So he went back to his protein. They were going to cut his salary at $2 million before I sent him there, and they actually took him from 7.5 to 11.5, right? Wow. So he made $4 million in a month by getting in shape. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. and he that said, was a good investment. Yeah, he said, can I make the Olympic team? I said, yeah, you'll have to be down at 6%. Mm-hmm. You know? So I took him down at 6% and went to the Olympic camp. And the guys on the U.S. team, as a joke, pretended they didn't recognize him. So they would walk by him. And, they, and I guess, hey, why aren't you saying hi to me? He goes, who are you? And he would say his name. He goes, no, no, no. The guy you're talking about, we know him. He's fat. You're not fat. You're not him. <laughs> so they all got together to make him freak out, and he's a pretty naive guy. And then people said, like, oh, Christ, you look so long to have a body like that. And he went on to win a silver medal at the Olympics, you know. And he had a great uh, season after that, but it, it, I was very upfront with him. I can't get you there, but it's a lot of work, you know. And But when people see results... They, uh, they have look faith. But it, it, for him, it was a, a big... I mean, he's a type of guy that used to drink hap, apple juice through a licorice uh, candy. What? That was his thoughts at the car. 
I mean, once I put them in a diet, I think that Cadbury fired 75 people. You know, <laughs> you have to them now, you've been in the business for a long time. You've seen so many different trends come and go in the strength and conditioning community. What do you think about the current state of what's going on out there right now, proliferation of CrossFit, things like that? I think the biggest problem with the Internet, there's two advantages to the Internet. You can get a lot of free information fast. Right. Problem, that's a good thing. B, yeah. you get a lot of information fast. You know, <laughs> right, right. People get overwhelmed, and then everybody's an expert now. Right, right. right. You know, what, 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 I call them virgin sex therapists, you know. So they, <laughs> <laughs> they have an opinion on something. <laughs> but it, it, it's like, you know, <laughs> learning how to shoot with a guy that's got an NRA certification they did in the weekend. Or you learn from a shoot of a guy that's on SEAL Team 6 and he's killed 400 Taliban by himself. Well, I'd rather go shoot, learn from a guy from SEAL Team 6 who's been right. shot at and actually shot people. So, you know, I'm, I'm never going to shoot a target at 50 yards for entertainment purposes. If I want to use a gun, I want to use it properly. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to the postal and the next shopping mall. But the point is, is that quality information is, is a function of how much experience you have. So I see a lot of... Um, and the problem I see is dogma. Okay? So people say... I'm the only one with the solution. It works 100% of the time, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, let's say veganism. Mike, you're a vegan. Right. Well, you know what? The hunter wasn't successful every day, right? So I don't think it's bad <laughs> to have a few vegan days because you, I think you actually upregulate uh, protein digestion and synthesis. Mm -hmm. I donate quite a bit of money to different organizations. One of them is a tiger refuge, right? Uh -huh. And we have 150 different types of tigers and cougars and blah, blah, blah. Well, we don't feed them twice a week, the tigers. Why? Because the, their digestive system mm -hmm. actually becomes lazy if we feed them every day. Hmm. So you know, that's a species-specific uh, thing. But I think that when we look at human nutrition, we have to look at um, individualization and there's no hard and fast rules. If it works for you and your mind is sharper and you're stronger, why change it? Right. 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 Unless it's going to get better. But the point is, is that we all have different physiology. But the, to say that, you know, some people can tolerate grains, but it's possible that you're obese and can tolerate grain. But if you came to my office and you were morbidly obese, and so I still want to eat greens. I said, well, I'll get lost because I can't make you lose fat you know, right. or not fast enough. So you got to make a choice. What's your priority? Right. Right. Are you attacking the tweak or you want to get in shape, you know? So uh, the problem, what I see nowadays is that I actually had a very good discussion with John Bros last Sunday about that. He said people want instant solutions, right? Mm -hmm. And I find the Internet has made people lazier and lazier and lazier. So I'll write an article, let's say, for this, I recommend five sets of five, blah, 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 blah. Someone will post 10 seconds later, how many sets and how many repetitions do you recommend? <laughs> hey, dude, did you actually read the article? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So it, it's very, that I find quite frustrating. I mean, Absolutely. I wish that on Facebook you can install like a, 
a boxing glove loaded on the spring with a grip inside the boxing glove. <laughs> and then when the guy asked a dumb question, I could just push a button and that thing comes out of the computer and punches it in the face. Because yeah. I bet you something that people would start reading the article. Um, so the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that good judgment is based on experience, but experience is based on bad judgment. Right. So I look at anybody that's any good, like say Josh Bryant, you know, you want to get a big bank fair, go see Josh Bryant. You want to squat a lot of weight, go see John Bros. You know, you want to win an Olympic lift, probably go see Pierre West. So there's a lot of very good experts at that. But you talk to any of those guys, and you give them a few drinks, and you say, what's the stupidest thing you've done? You can come up with a really good book. Because <laughs> I find that all the top guys have done some dumb shit just to try to get there, you know. Right. In- right. Including yours truly. So the point is, is that you need, you need to make mistakes to get good. And uh, people are so afraid of not making mistakes that they don't uh, they end up you know, doing paralysis by analysis. And then what I see a lot is that I get this question probably 15 times a day. What kind of book do you recommend to read? All of them. <laughs> read them all. Like, <laughs> no, no, I'm serious because you need to know what the other guy's point of view is too right yeah because otherwise you know it's it's blind faith and i think that it's um i can write a book how not to train (laughs) because i've done them all too (laughs) you know but that's why i can tell you about a train because i've trained a lot of systems that look good on paper but then and as you as you get more experienced then you can you don't sometimes need to try it. You can just look at it on paper, and you've got enough experience to say, yeah, it's, it's smart or not, you know? Right, right. right. What, what's an example of a program that maybe you prescribed earlier in your career or years ago that now looking back, you're going, man, what was I thinking? <laughs> like in uh, hindsight, yeah, 2020, you know. Yeah. In, I started to uh, – my first really successful Olympics was 92. Uh-huh. Canada had won seven medals in the winter sport. Five of those athletes were mine. So, in all frankness, it got to my head and it says, hey, I'm a superstar strength coach, you know. Right. right. So yeah. I thought I had a better system. So I invented this better system. And my rationale, which was completely false, was if variation is the key to, to induce strength, then more variation is better. Right. Well, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. It only works in one yeah. athlete out of 11. So that <laughs> of all the athletes I had, uh, maybe 80, you know, maybe seven or eight got great results on that system. And the rest had a terrible off-season, like a terrible <laughs> one. So I said, well, that may mean that there's such a thing as congratulations of training. In other words, we're dealing with different animals. Right. And then I start to look at things. And I had two girls who had each been six times world champion in speed skating. And I analyzed their training. And even though they had the same titles, I think I trained them completely different. And in the years I trained them, I had tried, like, training Natalie the way I trained Sylvie and Sylvie the way I trained Natalie, and it didn't work out. So I quickly adjusted myself. And then, so I made a big mistake in 92 which translated to more medals, you know, in 94 and in 98. So, I mean, I made a mistake and I learned from it. But so what I found is that 
at the elite level in, in, in strengthens power sports. I'm not talking about biathlon or, you know, marathon. But in the sports that I coach, there's basically three types of athletes. Ones that react to intensity, and what they need is a lot of variation, but you've got to kill them with intensity every day. If you don't put them nearly the grave every workout, they don't really respond. Mm-hmm. So those guys will be like Adam Nelson, who was world champion in shot put, right? And then there's athletes who respond mainly to volume, and they prefer longer programs, and it takes them longer to adapt. And then there's an intermediate type that can tolerate great intensities, but for very sh- you need to decrease their volume after a week of training. They can't handle long-term high intensity. So after I figured that one out, it was very easy. It takes me about six to eight weeks if I see a guy on a day-to-day basis to figure out what type of person he is. And then I adapt their training based on that. And then it goes to less time to adapt to farming to make the same progress, you know. But the, the one thing that I've reevaluated over the years is actually the concept of training frequency. Mm-hmm. I think that we can train a lot more than we think we can. The problem is, is obviously, lifestyle. You know, can you afford it? You know, if you're going to school and you have a job just to go to school, right. it'll right. be hard to train three times a day. But I, I worked for some countries where the athletes were fully supported, and that's where I was able to have the highest results in the shortest amount of time because I could train them three times a day. As long as you monitor on a daily basis what's going on, you know, one thing I learned from one of my mentors mm-hmm. is I really like to train people to the point of depression. You know, so you're sadistic, but <laughs> if, you never, if you never get depressed in training, you're not really training hard. Huh. So mm-hmm. I, I do these systems where I get people to be depressed from training. And once that happens where they suck their thumb and they cry because they don't want to go to the gym. <laughs> I, I give them about five days off, right? Mm-hmm. And then these guys get really strong. Mm. And so, you know, but it's not always practical. And let's say if you're a strength coach at a college, you can't do that, you know. But, right. you know, I would love to do an experiment where, let's say a guy like Richard Branson gives me a small African country and says, <laughs> I, you know, I'll, I'll give you a $2 million bonus per medal and you get four years. I could, I could turn them out. Just make sure you feed them properly and give me equipment. I can do it, you know. Now, Charles, when you speak of having that intense the training frequency, what do you do as far as recovery in terms of training in that manner for those athletes? Like what is usually the baseline for your recovery methods for them doing that? The thing is, is that the most important thing, which is underestimated, is quality of sleep. Okay, so, and I'm amazed that it's still not in people's brains. Like, so whatever you need to do to increase quality of sleep, I'm not saying to take meds, but you know, a lot of times it's a magnesium deficiency or it could be a GABA deficiency. So you, you get the most underestimated system in the body is actually the brain. So if you work on recovery of the brain, it's more important the recovery of the muscles. Right. 
I think that your mind is going to fail way before uh, your muscles will. Right. Of course, great nutrition makes a huge difference. Um, I've seen athletes, in, in, with my very own eyes, make progress because they weren't eating at home. In other words, we provided them with the food, okay? Mm-hmm. I've seen uh, national team weightlifters change their body composition completely in one week because they ate something out there. I'm in you know, I'm a big believer in organic food. You know, some people poo-poo that, but too bad for them. I don't get a crap. I mean, the quality, <laughs> you know, no, but seriously, I mean, the people say, well, there's no evidence of this. Yeah, there's no evidence. There's no double-blind study that kicking the balls will hurt, but... <laughs> right, right. I think there's people no, overstate the whole studies argument way too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like there's no double blind studies on parachutes, you know. But it, one thing for sure, I don't want to be part of the control. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Sure. The point being is that uh, once I got in, educated into the difference between organic and non-organic, you know, and the first telltale is actually the taste, right? Yeah, and then yeah. I, I said, oh, you know, that's, that's what chicken's supposed to taste like. So that's what, you know, I eat a lot of wild meat myself because I think that's the only high-quality meat you'll find around here. So, hmm. And when I go with overseas, like let's say if I go to Sweden, I'll find moose, you know, and then if I go to certain areas of Sweden, I'll find the best type of shrimp because I would non-polluted areas. So the, the quality of food is primordial and people say well i can't afford that uh, what price do you put on your health right uh, so i say quality of food is i mean you look at kiwis you know organic kiwis versus conventional kiwis uh, it's like trading a dollar for eight dollars 17 i mean it's like it's not comparable so right. it, it may cost more of your wallet but the return on the investment is so much greater that you know I mean, if I were to run an Olympic center, for sure, the food would have to be organic. That would be a non-negotiable. Do you find that it's much harder to find high-quality food? It seems like that's a huge issue that no politician ever talks about, <laughs> is the fact that the food supply is just getting worse and worse each year and that it's more challenging to find the highest-quality sources. Well, that's probably one of the reasons why I live in Colorado. Okay. <laughs> because, because I can find anything I want, you know. Right, um, right. And then... You know, the reason why I'm opening up a gym in Spain is because in Spain they use traditional uh, means of agriculture, right? So I want to open up a gym in London, yeah. So <laughs> right. for that for that reason. So uh, and even for myself, like on my teaching schedule, I do most of my teaching in Australia and Spain or Sweden because I can. I know for sure I'll get good food. Right. So well, you're, yeah. you're choosing where you teach because of the food? Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a smart way to go because traveling is, I mean, I, was, I taught in Australia last year as well and loved it. And I agree with you that getting high-quality food was easy out there. And some parts of Europe, it's very difficult. Some parts, it's not too difficult. It's not a bad strategy, though. <laughs> you pick, you know, if you have to travel a long distance, pick the places where you're going to have the highest quality food so you're not completely wiped out or get sick every time you go somewhere. But, you know, that's the, that's the essence of it. So, And then, you know, it's, I think it's a 
I just look at my students and they give their kids organic food and grass-fed meat and blah, blah, blah. And then I get into a social situation where I see them with other kids. Oh, the difference is staggering, you know. And then, uh, so I think that it's, actually I think that good nutrition is doping for children. In a sense, if you give them good food, they'll be ahead of their classmates. Right. Right. I'm, right. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Like a performance enhancement now. It's come to that because it makes that much of a difference. Now, with this, this school in Spain, is this something that you're planning? Obviously, you're not going to be living out there, or maybe you are. You're going to be out there for long periods of time. Is this something you're going to be contributing to a great deal, or do you have someone running that for you? Actually, I'm partner with Nick Mitchell, who owns Ultimate Performance. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what we decide to do, I mean, Nick has very well, very successful gyms in Hong Kong and in England. And we're using this one as a um, pilot project where we're taking an, a sunny area of the world and building a luxury gym. But not luxury in the sense that, you know, the towels are made out of gold in the sense that the the quality of the equipment, for example, Eleco, the barbell company, mm-hmm. supplies all the barbells on the bar. Right. So right, we right. have calibrated bars, calibrated plates. <coughs> Watson provides the dumbbells. They're calibrated. They spin, they, you know, the kettlebells, everything. So we, we get the best stuff. And then we have an outdoor gym, like Muscle Beach type of thing. Mm-hmm. So people can get their vitamin D3 and drain. And right. we have a nice indoor gym. And then uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we have opened quite a few more in different countries with the same model. But I'm going to use it as a teaching school as well. Because I think, that, you know, one thing I, I notice is that people don't master the basics. I mean, I'll give a class and I'm talking about bench press and one guy will lie on his stomach on the bench, you know, so... What? <laughs> Where did you get that one? So <laughs> no, you're not going to get a massage. The point is, is that it, 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 the basics are not mastered, you know? Right. And I teach yeah. seminars all over the world, and I'm surprised with people like, that have big jobs, jobs with like premiership teams and whatever. And they kind of can do the basics. Like, right. I wouldn't even hire the guys to change the towels at my gym. So it's like, <laughs> but the sad thing is I find that people are so uh, preoccupied. If I could give you an analogy for martial arts, you want to learn how to do a flying spinning back kick. Well, you know what? A flying spinning back kick looks great in the movie, but if you're in a bar and the guy's six inches from your face, the odds you can land you flying spinning back kick, you're not going to do much. But if you kick him right. in the ankle, you know, <laughs> Right. He's going to bend over enough so you can uppercut him. So, right. you know, you got to stick to the basics and everything. And I, people say, well, why do you want to keep teaching the basics? Well, I, I do want to leave a legacy. So if I take 500 trainers a year and I make them good at mastering the basics and they can pass that on, then I've accomplished something. But it's, I, I, I mean, every time I give an internship, that's the most common comment I get from the students. They go, wow, I didn't know, I didn't know, did not know how to squat. I did not know how to deadlift. I did not know how to parkling. Oh, very interesting. Now, with your, now you said you sold the Poliquin group. That's interesting to me because if you look at your old website, I guess, 
<clears throat> it's basically people that are professing your, all of your information, but yeah. you're no longer part of that. So it yeah. kind of reminds me of my grandfather who sold the Mahler Consulting Group, and then he wasn't a part of it anymore. <laughs> so right. someone's out there teaching the Mahler Consulting Method, and he's not part of it. How did, how did that whole thing, what, what happened there, if you don't mind talking about that? Exactly. And how do you keep the, how do you maintain the integrity of what you started with that? Right. Well? Exactly. exactly. Well, that, I mean, I have zero controls. I mean, I trust they will do it. Um, the thing is, is that I wanted to do something different where I want to do more hands-on stuff. I mean, I, I built my name being in the gyms and, and doing that. And I really think that as much as you could put on video on the internet, there's nothing like hands-on. Right. And I was missing that. So I prefer to charge a more premium rate, teach smaller groups, but teach people that are very motivated. Okay. And then, you know, in life you got to be happy. And for me, uh, going back to the roots was was essential. And then... You also get more of a pulse of what's needed. You know, I'm looking at doing a uh, membership site mm-hmm. so people can come and see me do the live things and, with, and then charge more of a premium rate com- compared to my colleagues. But you, know, you get what you pay for, and the quality would be quite high. That's, no doubt. I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm considering. I mean, I get within 20 minutes of me announcing that I left the Parkland Group, at three major job offers, so it's not like, <laughs> you know, so I, I've got a lot of things that, and the, but the, for example, the gym in Spain, I've been spending pretty much the last month planning it, organizing it, looking at different options for equipment, that, um, like a, we have, a, we have a lot of strongman equipment, you know, and then, you're a believe, big believer in using I mean, squats, you can't replace squats and deadlifts and stuff, but I think that you need to be able to move with a weight in right. multiple directions. Right. Well, mm-hmm. And then uh, different grip stuff. Uh, I think a lot of people neglect the grip or don't realize how important it is. Right. Yeah, I remember I, when I interviewed mm-hmm. you a long time ago, Charles, you made a point of talking about how grip is heavily correlated with genetics. So if you have a weak, a weak grip, because of your genetics, you can improve it, but it's only—it's not going to get to an elite level. It's only going to go so far. Do you right. still believe that? Is, is that something you're still in line with now? And, and what are some of your strategies you use to increase grip strength? Well, I think that still, okay, here's what we know. If you measure the grip or go back in records and look at the grip of Olympic champions of weightlifting, there's almost no difference once they're world champion and once they were 12. It's oh. only usually a less, between 10 to 20% difference. So in other words, the kid had strong hands by each 10. Hmm. So, or 12, you know, so depending on the selection system. But another thing we know is that if you go to world championships in judo, world championships in wrestling, and you give the athletes an hand grip test, you can pretty much predict who's going to win. Hmm. And quite accurately. So now, do they have a great grip because they did martial arts or they became martial arts champions because they got a great grip, you know? So is it a chicken and the egg thing? But the, right. the, what I've observed is that 
you can since we've had our last conversation, I think we, you can improve it more than we thought. Right. The thing I found with grip is that you need to train it pretty much every day hmm. if you want excellence, but you can't train it in the same motor pattern. Right. Right. In other words, if you use a, a hub to train finger strength on Monday, you may use crushers on Tuesdays. You may use plates squeezing on Wednesday. But as long as you vary it, then you grip. Because this is the difference. For every motor unit in the hand, you only innervate about 30 fibers. Mm. In the calf, for every motor unit, you innervate 500 fibers. Mm. That's, why, that's why calf training is so uh, painful, because every time you recruit additional motor units, you're recruiting a lot more fibers, right? Right, right. In, in the hand... You need to have low number of motor units per low number of muscle fibers per motor unit to be able to draw, right? Otherwise, you draw outside the line all the time when you have any control. So the problem is that when you when you grade motor units up, then it's very small jumps. And uh, so when you train the grip, what I found was is that if there's one place where micro adjustments is necessary is grip training. I remember training football players and we'd do grip exercise X and it, the guys would lift 29 pounds they could pick it up off the ground, no problem. I would put 30 pounds, couldn't pick it up. I put 29 and a quarter pound, they could do it. So a quarter pound felt like I had put a piano on a device, you know. And then I realized, well, it's because you, you just want to you couldn't go up more and more units. So based on that principle, what I figured out is that if I, it's hard to get more and more units, I should work on, on time and retention. So I, I like to use at least eight seconds of effort per rep. Mm. And that can increase your grip dramatically. So I, figured, yeah. Yeah, I, still think, it's a, I think it's something mm. you should do every day. Mm. Now you use, the fat, you use the fat grips quite a bit as well. Is that, is that something you add to, for example, if I added fat grips to every pressing exercise I do, every pulling exercise I do, would that contribute to a big increase in grip strength or would that be too much, especially if I'm adding it to everything you just discussed? I think that initially you would get a jolt. Here's the thing, though. What we know from research and practical experience is that grip is extremely specific. In other words, I have, for example, you know the uh, Rolling Thunder? Yes. Mm. Okay. I had a guy in my gym. He could legitimately do 35 pounds more than the world record per hand. Okay? So this guy had really strong hands. I, I kept telling him, go in, in a competition. He'll win easily. You know? And then right. we did a thing where we use a Milo hub and I could use 35 pounds. He could only use 12 pounds. Hmm. So he could smoke me on the um, Rolling Thunder, but I could smoke him uh, on other things. So I really saw the, the law of specificity. And I had seen uh, guys um, in American football who could bench 440, 450 raw, and could not budge a rolling thunder of 
120 pounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in sports, when you use the fat grips, initially your strength goes up. One thing that we found from research, where we don't have an explanation for it, is that it corrects the difference between left and right arm. So in pressing, mm -hmm. let's say if you do seven reps with the right and five with the left, mm -hmm. if you start training with thick dumbbells, both arms will get strong equally. Mm -hmm. We, we don't know why. There's a PhD thesis done on that um, by a former hammer thrower. And on the upper body, you gain strength faster if you use fat implements than uh, small implements. But people carry it through stupidity where they do thick bar squats, you know, like, right, you, know, right. you know, with a thick bar squat, the bar is further away from the L5 vertebrae, you are right. more likely you're going to drop it. I mean, or a thick bar deadlift. A thick bar right. deadlift in the, in the research cuts the weight by 50%, okay? Well, thick bar deadlifts are great for your grip, but they're terrible for your deadlift. Right, so, right. So it's like... What I, that's one of the things that really bothers me in the industry is that if something is good, then they write an article and they apply it to everything. So, for example, right. they do curls, curls with chains. I saw that muscle fitness day, the curls with chains. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think people like, I think people like novelty and they get distracted by that. So chains right. are, are an interesting method and there, there's a place for them. I think it's like you said, they see a commercial of someone doing squats with chains and they go, wow, that looks cool. Mm, and then right. they start applying it to every single movement they're doing. Right. Yeah. I think I should come up with an article, the stiff-legged squat. <laughs> 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 the secret of the champion. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, like I said, it, that's the, the problem with too much information. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's difficult, though, you know, for someone just getting in now, it, it's difficult to filter what they should be listening to because there's so much out there, and it, it, it takes a while to start discerning who are the real experts or, or who has the good information, and, and, and then that can be several years for someone who's just brand new, just came into the business today, and they just started reading articles and books and so forth, and every book contradicts the other one. Now they have to start figuring out, okay, what is actually going to be effective out of all this? And I, th I think that's the problem that a lot of people have that are not in our industry, just people who want to be fit, everyday people who go, okay, let me just pick up a book or two, put this stuff into action, and then they find so much contradicting information that it, it becomes overwhelming. Yeah, but I think the way around it, you know, there's <laughs> a, a website called Super Strength Books by Bill Hepburn? Oh, yeah, great I mean, website. Okay, well, all the books are old. But yeah. I find that's the best information because no doubt. the the guys who wrote those books are guys who train in their basements and their attic like Brooks Cubic, you know. And he yeah. just like did a lot of stuff and you realize, well this works and this doesn't. Like Brooks Cubic, in my opinion, is a very good author. I Excellent my, author. my favorite of all time is actually Anthony DeTillo. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. It's the only book that I've read more than once and I, and I didn't even color it either. And then the it's the only book that you know the theoretical question if your house is on fire and you have to come out with a book that's probably the only one I've ever <laughs> come out with because I find for me that was the most formative book because it basically said you take weight you got to do a lot of sets and you got to repeat and right. um, it, you know and there was no 
sugar coating. So, you know, I like the stuff by Reds Park and Derek Hepburn. And, uh, no I mean, no. I, I think that's still... I've taken all those systems and just added things like tempo and the standardized rest symbols. I mean, just because I'm a... Uh, you know, some people would say... I'm OCD. No, I'm, I'm passionate about what I do. People right. call you OCD it's because they're lazy. Right, <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so no they, they, I mean, I've trained Olympians medalists in 17 different sports. Well, I could tell you all those Olympians with what people call OCD, but I call them passionate. I mean, I met a girl that I coach. She became world champion in downhill skiing. And downhill skiing is a pretty dangerous event. And um, when she was 15, I remember the coaches telling me, yeah, she's all right, but she'll never be anything, right? And a few years later, she was world champion. I remember disagreeing with the coaching staff in skiing, and I was basically told, what do you know about skiing? I said, I don't know anything about skiing. But I know about drive, and this girl is driven. So she's the type of girl, she hired an optometrist who gave her all these drills to change her ability to focus and up her eyes in and out so she could see gates very far away as she's going down 120 clicks per hour. So she hired a guy to do that. Then she hired uh, someone to find her the best types of goggles for refreshing the snow so she could absorb more information. Then she, you know did all these agility stuff from gymnastics and diving, so she went again into trouble when she fell on her skis. She was my one of my most devoted strength athletes. How many women do you know can do sets of six with a 65-pound dumbbell and chin-ups? You know, oh, and an alpine skier, so she had big legs. She could front squat 145 kilos for a triple. Wow. At a body, a body weight of 67 kilos. So she was a strong girl, but she, you know, we used to call her a horse. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but more like a workhorse. And yeah. she beat out a lot of girls that had way more talent than her just on sheer obsession with finding an advantage everywhere. She even went into wind tunnels to figure out how long her ponytail should be to have, you know, the least amount of drag when she went into a, a speed position. You know, that's dedication. So, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, so he's laughing. He's like, well, I don't have time. Or, you know, Edison at 24 hours, Michelangelo at 24 hours, Mother yeah. Teresa at 24 hours. We all have 24 hours a day. You know, <laughs> it's what you do with your 24 hours. Right. That, that brings up an interesting question because how, how do you make time for everything you like to do? I mean, you get your workouts in. You obviously do a, a ton of research. And then you work with a ton of people now, and especially now you're doing a lot of hands-on stuff. So what are some of the strategies you use to keep up to date with information? Well, if I can do a shameless plug, I think one of the sure. best books that everybody should read, I mean, I make no money by plugging this book, it's called The One Thing by Gary Keller. Hmm. Okay. And another good book you should read is 59 Seconds by Richard Wiseman. Yeah, I read that. I you recommend it. It's excellent. Yeah, he took a good shot of the self-help industry, what works and what doesn't. <laughs> and um, uh, what, I, what I've realized is it's, people say, how are you doing it all? The first thing is I don't do it at all. I just do what I want to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so people perceive I do it all, but I don't. 
you know, like anybody else, I, I wonder why can't I do this or that. But, but what I, I think that, well, here's I think the way to do it is first you plan your holidays. <laughs> if you don't plan for holidays, you're an idiot. So I plan for time off. I have my daughter a week a month, so when I have her, it's, it's a week off. I take her a week every summer to visit the world, and I don't work. I mean, I see a lot of my students, but I don't work. I just have a lot of fun with my students. So I see local people wherever we go. And then, so I plan my time off. And then I think that you know, motivation is like hygiene. It's something you do every day. You know, you can't go to a Tony Robbins seminar every five years and think you'll be all right. So all right. Every, every day, I read about an hour on self-improvement, but it could be, doesn't mean like goal setting. It could be something like, uh, uh, how, do you, how do you get better at asking questions? You know, a book on how to ask questions. That's one thing. I, I could read a book. And uh, I tend to read about 12 different books at the same time. I, I like to, yeah. to read a chapter, and I, I go read something else. Right. So, well, you got yeah. ADD. No, it's not ADD. What I like is that, and I like to keep my mind fresh. And it's like saying, what I don't like about reading a book at once is that it doesn't allow for digestion. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I like to read, you know. And then it's interesting when I see authors co- quoting other authors. You know, in a, it seems that in the recent past, almost everybody I read kind of communicates in some way. So that I find interesting. Um, and then training for me it's very easy to put in because I got a fully equipped gym in my house and wherever I go, I got students with nice gyms. So it's, it's right. never a, uh, a thing to put in. But I think that if you're a strength coach and you don't train, well, it's like being a dentist with cavities. You know, so it's, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how common that is, though, in right. our industry. Where you have, right. where you, how many trainers, where it's obvious they don't train. You don't even have to ask. You just look at them. And you go, this guy looks yeah, like yeah, he hasn't yeah. been in a gym in 10 years. <laughs> you know? yeah. And all of a sudden, they're experts now. It's almost like they reach, I think the attitude is almost, when I've reached a certain amount of knowledge, I don't have to train anymore because I just know so much now. And they can, I'm, yeah, I'm a coach now. Yeah, yeah I, I put in my time now. I, I paid my dues. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but you look at martial artists like, Especially like in the sport of judo, you got guys that teach judo. They're in their nineties or, or karate in their nineties. Right. I think that right. you know they. That's the only way you can keep your nervous system young. You know, no doubt. And another thing I actually uh, like to do is to learn a new sports skill per year. Hmm. So this summer I took up shooting, but not but target shooting, but uh, not aligning my sights. So in other words, I learned to shoot with the elbow bent at 90 degrees, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I, I'm teaching my body to shoot with the body, not look, having to, to rely on the sights of the gun, right? And you'll say, why, why do you do that? You're afraid of home invasion? No. The reason why I learned that is that there's clear research that the reason why, the main reason why your brain ages is because we don't learn anything physical once we leave grade school. Mm-hmm. And they found that the people who don't age in the brain are the ones that actually do new physical stuff all the time. So, for example, martial artists, when you teach a four-year-old boy how to kick, well, everybody's got different levels of coordination, 
and the master will, you know, will have to adapt to the kid, and it's like a new challenging thing. You look at skiers, like when you go ski, it's never the same course. Right? You bang in the right. snow, you know, the humidity, the, the, and you look at guys who ski on a daily basis, their nervous systems don't age. So I think that, you know, um, it's really important to to do the, uh, physical stuff, but new stuff, you know. And I've got a 12-year-old. You know, last year we went to train in uh, Sweden for a month. She did three times a day Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then at night, you know, she would ask, hey, Papa, what do I do in this situation? And so just the fact that I had to do, like, basically math-solving problems with martial arts keeps my brain young, you know. Right. So I think that, you know, it's a big, big missing part of the puzzle. And I look at guys who have been my mentors. My, my karate mentor, if you look at him from the chin down, he has a better physique than most 25-year-old weight training enthusiasts. Right. But he's never stopped training. He's in his 70s. I think he's 75. And mm-hmm. again, his mind, I mean, he, he taught kickboxing and full contact karate until about two years ago. So that's why the guy's still sharp compared to other guys I knew from martial arts who stopped in their 40s and they start to age but normally. I, you know, as Forster said, normal is for normal people. I don't accept that low standard. You know? <laughs> right. No doubt about it. Now, also, we know that you're, one thing that people don't know about you is that you're really into a lot of charitable causes. So I'd, I'd love to hear about some of the stuff. You, you mentioned one already, but I'd love to hear more about some of the charitable stuff you do. And I'd like to support one of the organizations or more just for as a thank you for coming on the show. Okay, well, there's one if you want to make me happy. It's called Serenity, uh, Serenity Springs Wildlife.org. It's out of Colorado. It's, a, it's actually a tiger refuge. Huh, and okay. So there's people, they, they host 150 or so big cats um, year-round, and they're outside. But the thing is, the cages are huge. It's not like your typical zoo cage. And right. um, so last month, I adopted uh, two cubs, two lions. And over the years, I've adopted a black panther, two tigers, uh, a liger, and uh, and I just bought two small leopards. Um, actually, I'm buying three because I mean, you need to have male and female in the same cage. So one male, two females. But the, the point is, is that there's no point being the richest man in the cemetery. Right. 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 So, so if you, and I think that actually it has helped me acquire a lot of wealth uh, over the years because there's a, I, be, I strongly believe in the principle if you're not afraid of giving away money, the universe won't be afraid of giving you some. So, uh, no doubt. Look at people like Bono or the Gates Foundation, they give a lot of money, but they're certainly not short in money since they've been giving away money. So, right. the, and if you look at their lives, they've always been altruistic. And, and you know, there's a lot of research that really boosts your immune system, but in my own daughter, from age five, she would cut her hair every six months so they could make wigs for cancer patients. Mm-hmm. You know, and Very cool. So it's something that you have to teach your kids, and, but it comes naturally to her. And then we, um, you know, for example, in Sweden, I have a, these friends of mine who are jiu-jitsu teachers, and they teach 
um, kids from poor areas of Stockholm out to um, do uh, submissive wrestling and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But they had a uh, an accident at their dojo. They had a flood. So what I did is I donated money to re- restore the um, the showers. Okay. Right. So, uh, you know, it's important that... And if you look at areas that are poor, you're more likely going to have juvenile delinquents. Why would they have juvenile delinquents? Because they've got nothing else to do. Right. right. If you get them busy and they vent out their aggression in a controlled way, and it provides for that. But I think that it's a... I think it's something that should be taught in school, civic duty. And then, the other thing is that, let's say if I was U.S. president, one thing that I would vote in, I would never get voted in, but one thing I would like to see is people should do a year of service to others when they're 18. Hmm. Instead of joining the military, you have one year, something like the Peace Corps sort of thing, yeah. And yeah. but it doesn't have, you don't have to go to Bangladesh. You could right. up four right. people in America, you could go to Jersey and have plenty of work to do, you know. Yes, and sure. then but the thing is is that if you if you are on the other side of the track, as we say in French, mm. and you see what it is like, then you're far more appreciative of what you got. And and I think being grateful is one of the most important things you could do uh for your health. So it's uh Definitely. A big deal. I know, Mike, you're very generous too. You've worked a lot with animals and hurricane uh, victims and stuff like that. I mean, I think it's a it's our duty to help others. No doubt. Thank Charles, you. I just want to make sure that the website is correct. I was looking it up. So it is it's SerenitySpringsWildlife.org. Is that the right one? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. It's in uh, it's in uh, Colorado. Yes. Okay. And it take, you know, you could donate. Five bucks, fifty bucks. I mean, the for some ongoing Saturday, I got a friend coming in from Colombia, and we're going to go see uh, the two cubs I've adopted. You know, before they get to the point where they keep have me for dessert. So <laughs> they're still they're still young, you know. And then, but the thing is, you know, it also allows for preservation of, of this uh, species, and then. Uh, and then also, you know, they could have DNA exchange and stuff like that. So I think it's a great cause. And the two the men and women who take care of uh, those animals have put their last cent into that thing. So yeah. I really like to encourage them. And they've asked me to be on their board. And yesterday we looked into doing a TV series for them. I mean, you got shows like Duck Dynasty, which is basically a show where you, in the end you kill more ducks, right? <laughs> why not? Why not have a show where you say cats, big cats, yeah. and ducks? So, uh, <clears throat> and, and then it wouldn't be hard to make it more intelligent than that show. So, uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> that would require minimal effort. And then, um, <laughs> you know, I think that we need to raise people's consciousness. And again, whenever you preserve natural habitat for animals, you you know, let's if you donate to save a tiger habitat, well, you're gonna see it hundreds of species more too, you know, so, yeah, um, and I, I think that it's very important that, and Mike pointed out to me, actually, um, and I'm grateful for that, the, the need to be sure who you donate money to. Right, right, right. right. I used to give to a really big international organization, that, and once Mike sent me an email, I uh, went locally, and that's where, why I'm involved in this farm. 
Thanks for that, Mike. Oh, man, my pleasure. Yeah, it's just one of the things that we try to profess in the show, charitynavigator.com, and there's a few other sites where you can get a look at how the money is being used before you donate. And I, I think that's an important thing, too, because I think a lot of people have good intentions. They just don't want to donate money to something where it's going to someone's trust fund. And right. you know, no, one, no one should be making an executive salary at a nonprofit organization. <laughs> so if you're making, right. making 500000 to a million a year, that's your salary. There's something wrong with that picture. That's right, that's right. And then... Um, it's, it's all good. So, well, thanks a lot, Charles. We know thanks you're a busy lot. guy, and it's wanted yeah. to give your Facebook page a plug too. It's just if you're on Facebook, folks, it's just facebook.com/strengthsensei, and I'll make sure it's on. It's on my favorites list on my page as well, and we'll make sure to give it a right. plug on on the show notes, etc. Yeah, show notes. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else, Charles? You'd like to plug? You have any courses coming up or any products? Yes, yeah, actually, my new page, thestrengthsensei.com, should be up. Oh, okay, good. Within about three weeks, and all the courses will be announced. And um, basically, it's the same courses given in three different continents. I'm going to talk on body composition. I'm giving uh, also sport-specific training internships because there's a lot of demand for it, but where do you go to, to learn that stuff? It's hard. So I feel of asking, well, why don't you teach how you've produced something metal? So I give these three-day courses where I, I take one... For example, the first day is sprinting, the second day is jumping, and the third day is throwing. Hmm. So if you're not a, a thrower, a jumper, or a sprinter, well, you're probably in a sport that combines one or three of these activities, correct? So mm -hmm. that's the way I'm going to go for, for it. Now, are you teaching in the U.S. as well, or are you just overseas right I'm now? I'm teaching a few in the U.S., but they're all private. For example, University of Utah, I, okay. any, I don't have any public ones scheduled because I'm so... I actually have one in... Um, Connecticut on hockey, but it's sold out until like 45 minutes. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, people really want... That's one of the reasons why I went back to that is that people want that sort of information and no doubt. I'm the one who produced the medalist, you know, so... All right, well, I appreciate okay. you guys having me in. Thank, and thank you. Thank you a lot. You guys. I'll, uh, I'll be back for sure. Thank you. Yeah, we'd love thank to have you. you again. We'll make sure to give you the link for the show when we have this one up. Thanks a lot. That's real pleasure talking to you. So much good information, and thanks for everything you do. Okay, okay. you're welcome. Have a Take great care. day, guys. You too. You too. Thanks again. <clears throat> so, I mean, we're definitely starting off January with some banks here. That that was Charles Poliquin with some killer information. So definitely yeah. go look into his stuff. And I think I think what impressed me the most is is how sometimes you hear stuff about Charles, like he's very arrogant, this, that, and so forth, and I, and I found the exact opposite. No, yeah, I didn't see that at all, you know, you and know, very uh, willing to share information. So, I mean, yeah. arrogance would be someone who's like, well, I don't really like to talk about that, or I don't yeah, want exactly, to talk about or that. Someone base, exactly, well, someone who's based. And most people are like, like that, that, they have something to hide. So, I mean, yeah. here's someone that's like with a wealth of experience, very willing to discuss everything here. So yeah. it just it just sucks that we had about an hour to talk to him. I mean, I'm, we were just like barely hitting like the tip of the iceberg right there with that. No, we could go, we could go, we could do four hours with him. And we'll definitely have him come back again. I'm glad I'm yeah. glad he wants to come back again because it's always he was one of the first guys I interviewed when I first got into the business, and it was it was one of those moments where I, I was like, this is cool. You know, like the whole time you're right. interviewing someone, you're like, wow, this is cool. I'm learning this. I'm learning that. Just exactly. just networking <laughs> someone at his level. Exactly. So it's kind of it was kind of hard just now 
asking questions, but at the same time taking notes, like, oh, dang, I didn't think about that. Oh, wow, I didn't think about that. It was like being in an actual class right now. It was like a master class, you know. It, right, it, right. Take something from Oprah right there. It was a master class. I'm like taking notes. I'm like, okay, I know I need to ask this, but let me write this down. And he just said. I was trying right. to write down some of those jokes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Steven Seagal's car oh, could, could feed the whole country of Somalia. <laughs> Oh man! It's like a, it's like it's like a virgin sex therapist. Oh, yeah, that was probably hilarious. the best analogy I've heard. <laughs> I was like, that well played, Mr. Pollock. Well <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to have him come back and talk and talk about very precise topics, right? Like hormone optimization this time, exactly. and then maybe sports specific training or you know training for MMA. Just make it that precise. So that would be that would be pretty cool to have that. Exactly. Exactly. So. Before we head out, folks, make sure that you hop over to Mike's site or my site where um, Mike's giving you 10% off of all of his supplements, and all you have to do is type in the coupon code LLA at checkout, and you'll get 10% off of that. Or you can hop over to my site and get 30% off of my digital download or physical copy of my Bodyweight DVD. And all you have to do over there, same thing, type in coupon code LLA. So that's either MikeMuller.com or you can hop over to NewWarriorTraining.com or even better, Go to both. <laughs> Do that. Absolutely. And then one thing, one extra thing to plug is I'm doing a series of courses in Australia. It's going to be in May. I just put the links up on my site last night. So I'll be in Sydney for two of uh, two courses in Sydney and two courses in Brisbane. Sydney will be May 10th and 11th. Brisbane will be the 17th and 18th. You can find all the course info on my site. You can also use that coupon code LLA to get 15% off. So make sure you do that as well. Sign up now because there's a early bird special. Price will go up after five people register. And then that coupon code is only going to be good actually for the first five people. So right now you can get in at a great discount and you can get an additional discount using that code to get 15% off. All right, folks. So before we head out, one last thing. Make sure you use the magic formula. First of all, subscribe to the show. Then once you do that, download the show. Then when you do that, listen to the show. And then after that, share the show on your favorite aspects as far as social media is concerned. Get the word out there. We're climbing up. A lot of people, I just came back from a conference in Vegas where it's basically based around new media, the NMX seminar. Basically, there were quite a few people there that are already talking about the show. And it was kind of surprising, very surprising, because, I mean, Mike and I are relatively new at this. We're babies at this. As far as having right. our show out there, we've been, we've been on for about eight months now. There yeah. are some people there that have been doing podcasting since, 2005, one guy's been doing it since 1993. Wow. I'm like, wow. I mean, he was doing it when he was using, like, real networks as, like, the platform. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, man, real audio. I, re- I remember that. That was a pain in the ass when I was doing internet radio. So there's some folks that have been in the game for a while, and even those who were not familiar with us at first, once they found out what the show was like, and just talking about the show to folks and what we talk about here, a lot of guys were, like, going right then on their phones, and they were listening. And they, or they looked at some of the topics, and they're like, oh, dude, I'm subscribing. I, this is some good stuff here. This is way different than most of the stuff that's in those categories, where it's health and fitness and even business because, hey, we're climbing up the chart in business on careers because I guess because a lot of you guys are out there after listening to the show is like taking control of your careers and telling your bosses to shove it. So <laughs> good for you. So it's helping us rise up in the ranks of iTunes and Stitcher with that. And I even, even talked to the, the director of Stitcher as well while I was there. So you know, it's a lot of good things, and the reason why those things are happening for this show is because of you. We thank you all, and we just ask that you keep getting the word out there, keep supporting our products, 
keep getting the word out there for people who can come support our products when you, know, you may not be financially in a position to do so. So we truly appreciate all your reviews, your ratings, and getting the word out there and sharing our links um, to the shows on various social media. I see you guys sharing a lot of links now, Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for that. We really do appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. All right. Catch you all on the next show, people. Bye-bye.